Before Shopify, were you wondering, where my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. <clears throat> oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen. Hello, Dr. Tim Jordan here with another episode of Raising Daughters. And if you're the kind of parent who wants to understand your daughter better, who wants to have a close relationship with your daughter, and who wants to uh, be an influence in your daughter's life now and throughout the teen years, then you are in the right place. I come to you every, every week or so with a new podcast talking about different kinds of topics that apply to raising daughters. And last, uh, last month, my wife and I have, have been traveling. We facilitated four weekend retreats, uh, primarily father-daughter retreats, dads and their young daughters. And I heard th- this question not once, not twice, but many, many times throughout the weekends. And the question was, how do I motivate my daughter? How can I get my daughter to get better grades? How can I motivate my daughter to do her homework and turn her homework in? How can I motivate my daughter to apply herself with her soccer? Because if she would just try harder, she could be the best player out there. And it's not just in the last month on these weekend retreats I've heard those questions. I hear them all the time in my counseling practice, in my retreats and things. Parents wondering, how can I motivate my kid? I'm wondering, for those of you who are listening to this podcast, have you ever asked yourself those questions or wondered out loud about how to motivate your kids? I think if that's what you've been asking yourself, you've been asking yourself the absolute wrong question. A better question you could be asking yourself is, how can I support my daughter's intrinsic motivation? How can I help my daughter discover her own internal motivation? In the short run, and especially the long run, that's a much healthier question to ask yourself because it's not your job to motivate your daughter your daughter's job to learn how to motivate herself? And the answer to the question, there's lots of things I can talk about when it comes to motivation, how to help support your daughter's internal motivation, help her find it, help her become aware of it. One of the best ways to do that is sometimes to get out of her way. Let me explain what I mean by that. There's a girl a little while back who grew up in, a, in Chicago And she graduated from high school a semester early in order to go to a local university to be with her boyfriend. After a semester of that, and I think she broke up with her boyfriend, she transferred to the University of Arizona to be with her friends. After a year of that, she left, discouraged, just not into it, didn't really want to go to college. Her parents had always stressed that school uh, and going to college was something that she had to do because, because they wanted her to have a good future. She came home and she told her parents, School is not for me. And at this point, her mom listened. And her mom asked her what she was really passionate about and what she wanted to do. And this girl said she wanted to do makeup. Uh, and, and her thought was maybe do theater makeup or maybe movie, you know, makeup for movies, people who are in movies. So they sat down and brainstormed a plan. 
and they looked through uh, the books and looked through their online, looked look through college sites, looking for a place that could help her get a degree in makeup, and she couldn't find one exactly. But she visited a college called Emerson College in Boston. And when she was there, she saw lots of people at the outdoor cafe. She liked to look at the school. She thought she could connect with them. She just had a good feeling that this was the right place. So she talked to the university and told them she wanted to have a, a, a degree in uh, theater makeup, but they didn't have that program. But they allowed her to design her own concentration. So she worked with the departments of theater, the TV department, film, makeup, even photography. And looking back, this woman said, I left with a BA in fine arts in makeup with a minor in photography. But what I really left with was the knowledge that it was all up to me. That college, Emerson College, had allowed her to be the captain of her fate. And that was a role that she liked and she kept doing for the rest of her life. And this woman, whose name, by the way, is Bobby Brown, said, everything in life, everything is what you put into it. There are so many options for how you can live your life and make a career for yourself. If you can identify and stick with something you're genuinely, genuinely passionate about, you're way ahead of the game. You'll figure out how to make money once you figure out what you love to do. As you know, Bobby Brown went on to, to create her own cosmetic company. She's been very, very successful. And that success did not come until her parents stepped back and let her choose what she wanted to do based on her interests and her passions. And that's where I feel like a lot of parents are getting stuck today. So many parents are trying to jam all of their kids onto this one narrow path. You've got to get straight A's in school. You've got to go to a top college. You've got to get a job that, or excuse me, get a major that where you can make a lot of money. And I think a lot of girls have been absorbing that uh, conditioning and that kind of one path, one standard option their whole lives. And in reality, it doesn't work for most people. And it causes a lot of stress. When I see girls in my counseling practice who are in high school uh, or maybe even in college, I'll ask them questions like, you know, what kind of grades do you want? And the answer, 99 times out of 100 is, well, I want all A's. They give me that incredulous look like, what else would I want? But then I ask them, why do you want A's? And then it's interesting. It gets really interesting because some of them will say things like, well, if I get good A's, I can get into a top college. And I, I'll say, why do you want to get into a top college? They'll say, because I can get a good job. And I say, why do you want to get a good job? And they say, so I can make a lot of money. There's that path, right? There's that one narrow path. There's the mantra. But a lot of girls look at me like, well, I don't know. They haven't really thought about why do I want to get good grades? Why might I want to get A's? They haven't thought because they've been spending so much time trying to please everybody around them, parents, teachers, etc. Trying not to disappoint people, trying to stay on this little this little ride of of getting into top colleges and trying to give give the the student, uh, excuse me the school counselor what they want, trying to make their applications look good for college. They spend so much time doing all that they haven't sat back and gotten quiet and said, "What do I want? What kind of grades? And if I want to go to college, why might I want to go to college?" I talked about that in previous podcasts, so you can look back looking for the, my podcast about college. And I don't think I want you to start asking those questions about why when they're juniors in high school. That's kind of late. 
I think that kind of questioning can start when they're little. When they come to you with, with a picture that they colored and they ask you, do you like my picture? Instead of saying, oh, I love your picture. It's so great. It's so beautiful. Let's put it up on the, on the refrigerator. I think I'd rather you ask your daughter, what do you like about your picture? And then listen as they tell you why they love their work. And most little kids would say things like, I like it because I, I used all my colors. Look, how I put her hair this green. I think it's so funny for her to have green hair. They will tell you why they love to draw, why they love to paint, why they love to do whatever they're doing. And if you listen, you can mirror that back by saying, wow, looks like you're so excited because you love to use colors and you get so into your artwork. You mirror it back so that they internalize it. And then that motivation that good feeling about their artwork or their soccer or their grades is always there for them and they can always draw from it. They don't need people from the outside to constantly be patting them on the back and praising them and quote-unquote motivating them. Kids have that intrinsic motivation from the day they were born and there are intrinsically motivating good feelings that you get in anything that you do whether you're talking about writing a paper, whether you're talking about playing soccer, whether you're talking about um, digging, digging holes and planting things in the garden, no matter what they do, there are good feelings that can come from that, from a job well done, love of learning, love of doing the activities that they love to do. And they have that intrinsically until we distract them from it with all the externals, grades and praise and all the other externals that we, rewarding kids for good behavior, rewarding kids for grades. We distract them with, with their in, internal motivation with all the externals. And that's become a problem in the last 40 years in this country as we've gotten so enamored with praise and externals. And we've lost sight of the fact that what's really important is that our kids learn to be aware of their intrinsic motivation and those feelings they get from doing what they love to do. I remember giving a talk to a school district uh, a bunch of years ago, and I was talking about this whole thing about internal motivation, intrinsic motivation, and there was a break, and a man came up to me and he said, I'm the high school senior art teacher here at the, at the high school, and he said, you know, I was, I was really interested in what you were saying about motivation, and this past summer, I went to some workshops talking about that same issue, and I read some books and articles, so I decided this school year to do it different. And so when these high school seniors would come to me with their artwork and they say, hey, Mr. So-and-so, do you like my, my drawing? In the past, I would you know, be effusive with my praise and all that, but I did something different this semester. When they came to me, I said, what do you think? What do you think about your work? And he said, what I, what I noticed was amazing that the kids would look at me like, like I was kind of weird with this kind of quizzical look like, well, I don't know. And they would say things like, well, well, if you don't like it, you know, I can do it over again. And I would say to them, no, no, I didn't say I didn't like it. I'm just asking you what you think of your work. And they would stammer and stutter and they'd, they'd walk away saying, you know what, I'll do it again. If you don't like it, I can redo it. He said, I realized in those moments that these 18-year-old high school seniors have been in school for 12 years and nobody has ever asked them, what do you think of your work? And I'm worried that a lot of people today, a lot of young people, had never been asked, what do you think of your work? Why do you like to play soccer? Why do you want to get A's? Why do you want to go to college, etc.?
I read a story a while back about a, a girl. Her name was Muriel. And when she was a young girl, her family moved to Europe for several years. And she learned to play soccer there when she was in grade school. And when the family moved back to the States, I think she was 10 or 12, she was amazing. And so she was always playing one or two years up. And she was one of the youngest people who ever made like the under 14 national team. She was a stud. She ended up getting a full ride to college. And at, uh, at the beginning of the first season, her soccer coach in college invited each of the women one at a time on the team to come into his office and they would sit down and he, and he said to Muriel, what are your goals for the season? And Muriel immediately blurted out, I want to be the best. And the coach was like, oh, great. He said, what does that mean? And Muriel kind of stammered, well, you know, be the best, blah, blah, blah. And she didn't really have a good answer. I think she thought that's what the coach would want her to, to say, which is what she'd been doing her whole life. And the coach walked over to the light switch in the room. And he turned the lights off and he turned them back on. He turned them off, turned them back on. He said, if you want to be the best, it's a decision you have to make each and every day. And then he walked out of the room, leaving Muriel with her thoughts. And for the first time in her life, Muriel started thinking to herself, what do I want? You know, I say I want to be the best. What does that mean for me? And so she did some soul searching for the first time in her life. She had done a lot of things her life up to that point to, to please her parents and to do what she was supposed to do and to not disappoint people, which is something a lot of girls do. And she decided she did want to be a good soccer player. She wanted to win some national titles in college. She wanted to make the World Cup team. She wanted to make the Olympic team. And so for the first time in her life, she really applied herself. She went after it. And when she graduated from college, she had won four national championships at the University of North Carolina. She was a captain of her team. She also made the World Cup team and she won two World Cups and she also made the Olympic team and she won two gold medals in the Olympics. And when she retired, she was the, the highest scoring women's soccer player in history. Muriel went by a different name and the name was Mia. Muriel was Mia Hamm. Now, I don't want your daughters waiting until they're in college for us to ask them, what do you want and why do you want it? Those are questions we can be asking all along the way about why they want the grades that they want, why they want to play soccer, why they love theater, why they love to dance, why they love gymnastics, whatever they're up to, to ask questions all along the way. Let me give you some examples about what it might sound like. Not too long ago, within a couple weeks' time, I had two young girls, one was nine, one was ten, who came to my counseling practice because they were stressed out. The first girl, who was nine, was stressed out because she was on a new dance team, a very competitive one. And she was worried all the time that she was going to make a mistake and, and mess, mess things up for the whole squad. Then they might kick her off the squad. She was all wound up. So I asked her why she loved the dance competitions. And her answer was interesting. She said, I love the costumes. I love being on stage because there's so much room to dance and I feel so free. That's her intrinsic motivation. The other girl who was 10 said, when I asked her why she loved to dance, she said, 
I my favorite thing is ballet. I, I love how graceful it is and how calm, and especially ballet. The music and the dancing really calms me down. I asked another girl one time on a retreat. She said her favorite thing was dancing. And I said, well, why do you like to dance? And she, and she was actually at a father-daughter retreat. I remember this. This is about two years ago. And she was sitting in her dad's lap. She was about eight years of age. And I'd been talking to the parents about this whole intrinsic motivation thing. And so I asked her in front of all the father-daughter pairs. I said, why do you like to dance so much? And she said, well, I like it because when I first go out there, I kind of have to do the things that they taught us. And so I kind of do those those movements and things, she said. But then once I get going, I start to create my own movements. She said, I love to do that. She said, I love to be in control. And I'll never forget the look on her dad's face. He, he was sitting behind her and he was like, oh my gosh, I've never heard that before. She was telling him and us why she loves to dance. We were at the home uh, several years ago at a family where there's a girl who was about, I think about 11 years of age and she was a high level gymnast and we were having dinner with the family and she wasn't even home until like eight o'clock and she walked in like halfway through the dinner and she went to gymnastics every day after school from 3.30 to 8 and also she uh, did gymnastics on Saturday, she practiced and then she had lots of tournaments, a lot of time, lots of energy, took a lot for her to keep up that. So when she was sitting at dinner, I, we, I asked her, I said, that's a lot of work and a lot of, a lot of time. I said, why do you do it? And she said, well, I, I love the main thing. She said, I love to perform. She said, well, I'm out there doing the floor exercise. And as she was talking, her dad interrupted her. He said, hey, honey, go show him your hardware. And we, my wife and I, Ann, looked at each other like, what do you mean? And dad said, honey, go ahead, go show him your hardware. And I remember the girl was like, Dad, he said, go on, show him your hardware. So she goes, okay. So she said, let me show you. So we, we got up from the table. She took us into her bedroom, and she showed us the four walls in her room, which were covered with trophies and blue ribbons. That was her hardware. And that obviously wasn't that exciting to her. So sitting there in her room, we said, what do you like so much about gymnastics? And she said, I like the, she said, I like performing. She said, when I'm out there in the floor exercise, and then she started getting excited. She said, I'm standing there in that, that corner, and all eyes are on me. She said, I get so focused. I'm so in the moment. She said, when I'm doing the flipping around, I'm doing the dancing steps. She said, I just love it. And when I'm done and people clap, she said, it just, I just love that feeling. That was this girl's intrinsic motivation. She loved to perform. She loved doing the exercise. She loved being in those flow moments. And her dad was distracting her from those feelings with his hardware stuff, the stuff about trophies and ribbons. It wasn't that important to her. What was important to her was doing what she loved to do. So get in the habit of asking your daughters what their motivation is for what they're doing whether it's dance or gymnastics or school or theater or why they love to read or why they love to draw, whatever it may be, what's their motivation? And my guess is if you ask your kids why they like what they do, many of your daughters will not mention school. Some of your daughters probably love school, but many of them don't. When I talk to groups of, of successful business people, which I've been doing for about 20 years, uh, in, and so far in about 17 different countries, 
So these are very successful business people. When I asked them, how many of you were motivated to do your best in school when you were in grade school? If there's a room of 100 people, I might see like five or 10 hands. I'll say, okay, well, how many of you, when you were in middle school, were motivated to do your best in school? You're kicking butt. You're doing your best. I might see about the same number of hands. How about high school? How many of you were really motivated in high school? You're doing your best, applying yourself to your fullest. I might get 10 to 15 hands. When I ask these parents, how many of you didn't really get invested in your education until after high school? Most of the hands in the room go up. And many of them laugh and say, I never did. Or they'll say, not until college. Or not, not until beyond college. And that's the truth in, in most audiences when I've asked groups of parents that. And many of them were not motivated to do their best each and every day, which is what we ask our kids to do, right? Sometimes we'll say, well, I don't really care about grades. I just want them to do their best and work to their, their potential and do their best every single day. Okay, well, most of you didn't. But somehow we've forgotten that and we expect that from our kids. I'm not saying you should, you should get off this podcast and go to your daughter's room and say, you know, Dr. Jordan said you can just kind of you know, screw around for the next 12 years. That's not the point. The point, though, is remember that our kids need to find their motivation. And some kids are not going to find that motivation with their education in sixth grade. No matter what we do, no matter how much we care about, some kids are just not into that whole game of school thing. And many, many kids are not going to find their motivation with their schoolwork or their education until after high school or maybe when they're in college. And at those points in time, they can choose what they want to study and pursue. And that's especially true if your daughter is strong-minded, if they're independent-minded, if they have kind of an entrepreneurial spirit. Some of those kids will just not be into school the way we want them to, no matter what we do, because they don't, they don't like to comply with the game of school because they're being made to do things. That's a hard thing for a lot of parents to swallow because there's so much energy around straight A's and top colleges and you know best colleges. There's so much energy around that. And so to be able to step back for a second and say, you know what? I want my kids to, to be successful in life. I want them to be able to pursue things they want to do. And they may not be totally focused on their schoolwork every single day, every single hour, every single moment of every single day. And they need to find their, their passion and their motivation for their education. One of our sons was a very good student. He got you know mostly straight A's all the way through. And if you looked at his report card in high school, you'd say, wow, he's got... You know, he had like a 93% average all the way through high school and a very good school too, an all-boy high school. You would say, oh, wow, he's a good student. But the reality was he wasn't that good of a student. He didn't really work that hard. He was really good at the game of school. He knew how to take tests. He just was good at knowing what was going to be on the test. That, I guess, is a skill, which is valuable when you're going through school. It's not that valuable when you get out of your educational, <clears throat> excuse me, your educational time when you're out of school. So we didn't really see lots of initiative and hard work and perseverance with the score because it wasn't that hard. But we did see it with other things. We saw it with his sports, and then we saw it again in high school when he decided he wanted to learn how to play guitar. And my wife and I always laugh and joke about how we think the original motivation was he saw some of the, 
the uh, guy counselors at our summer camps who played the guitar that all the girls would would kind of sit around because they it was like it was like a check magnet, right? Which may sound awful to you, but that was kind of true. But the truth is, he he on his own initiative found my wife's old guitar she had gotten when she was in like middle school, and he totally all on his own taught himself to play. He would pull down tabs, look at YouTube videos. And he put a lot of energy and a lot of hours into teaching himself how to play guitar. And he's, he's a very good guitar player today. He's in his, his uh, middle 30s. He taught himself how to play harmonica. He got one of those little uh, things you put around your, your neck that, so you can play harmonica and play guitar at the same time because he likes Neil Young and Neil Young did that. You may say, well, that's guitar, that's not school, whatever. I, and what I have learned over time is to value passion where you find it. All the things that he was showing us with his learning how to play guitar, taking initiative, hard work, pushing through adversity, struggling with it and doing it anyway, persevering, um, and acquiring those skills, all of that is transferable to not only education, but also to life, to what he's doing now as a, as a 36-year-old in his life. And... I think that's true for, for the things that your kids find that they pour themselves into. That, that All that energy and all those lessons are transferable. I remember one time I got a call from a woman who was in, in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. She was a reporter and she was doing a story about something. And she said, by the way, while I have you on the phone, and this is like the second or third time she had, she had called to get some quotes from me. She said, I have, a do- I have a son, excuse me, I have a son who's 16. He's in high school, and he's really smart, and if he applied himself, he could get straight A's, she said, but he has no motivation. He's not motivated to do anything. And I said to her, I don't believe that. I believe that he may not be motivated in school, but I, I can't believe he's not motivated with something. I said, what is he into? What is he, what did, where does he put his time? And she said, well, he does like to read, and he reads a lot of books about politics, and he reads books about uh, uh, past presidents, you know, senators and people like that. She said he's so into that stuff, he actually started a poli-sci club in his high school. So when I heard that, I thought to myself, that kid's going to do just fine. He's not into his schoolwork yet because it's probably boring to him, but he knows how to apply himself. He knows how to uh, take initiative like my son did with his guitar. I remember one time I was giving a talk with, with a group of about 20 people. There was 10 couples. And they all knew each other because they were part of some organization. And so most of them also knew each other's kids. And so one woman, we were, when we were talking about motivation, said, my daughter is not motivated to do anything. She's like a slug. She's not, she's not into anything. She hasn't found her passion yet. She hasn't found her thing. And she's like 14 years of age. And I feel like she should have found it by this time. And one of the other moms raised her hand. She said, you know what? I don't see that. She said, my kids love when your daughter comes over. She's so good with my kids. She's their favorite babysitter. Another one of the, uh, the parents said, you know what? Yes, we live on the same street. And, and my kids are always going to your house because they want to play with your daughter. She is so good with kids. And then the mom of this girl said, well, yeah, I know she likes kids and she wants, she wants someday to become a preschool teacher, but I keep telling her, you can't make any money at that. Wow. So here's a girl with a passion. Here's a girl with, with not just a passion and an interest, but she's good at it 
and her parents are already at the age of 14 dissuading her from, a, from following that line of thinking because it's not going to make enough money. I would look at places your kids are showing interest and passion. And I would value passion where you find it. And even though it may not always be in what we want it to be, what we think is a better thing, I would value it for what it is. I would, it would support their intrinsic motivation in that thing and then see where it leads them. And please don't dissuade them from interest because it won't make money someday. They'll, they can figure that out once they get there. Also, in other ways, I would be very careful not to dissuade our kids from their dreams. Let me tell you a couple stories about that. I'm sure you all know who Jane Goodall is. She's a very eminent primatologist. And at the age of eight, she started dreaming about living in Africa. This little girl, Jane, loved being outdoors. She loved to climb trees and she would read books in trees. She daydreamed a lot about living in the forest like Tarzan. She discovered Africa in her books. And she decided she was going to find a way to go there and live with animals and write books about animals. She also dreamed when she was a kid, she dreamed she was a man because at that point in time, if she wanted to do things like she wanted to do, those are things that only men were able to do, like going to Africa and living and working with animals. And she wanted to live with, with the chimpanzees and she wanted to be like Dr. Doolittle and she wanted to be like Tarzan. And everybody laughed at her. This little eight-year-old girl saying, I'm going to live in Africa at a time when women were not allowed to do those kinds of things. But she wasn't discouraged and her mom did support her. She supported her love of animals and her mom told her um, that most people dream about things that they can't always do. Her mom said, you keep your dreams. People might discourage you because they think you can't do that, but you can do it if you keep your mind on it. And her mom told her, if you really want something, you have to be prepared to work very hard, take advantage of all your opportunities, and above all else, never, ever give up. That helped Jane keep her dream intact. When she was about 12, her parents got divorced, and college was not an option for her because they had no money. She got jobs when she was uh, in her late teens and her early 20s as a waitress. She got secretarial jobs. And she got a job as a secretary at Oxford University. And she took full advantage of being on the campus by reading what students were reading. Um, one of her friends invited her to Africa, and so she worked really hard, saved some money, and she uh, took a boat there. And she decided when she was there, she really wanted to live there. She became committed to it. And while she was there on that trip, she met Dr. Leakey, who was doing research there with animals. And, he, and Dr. Leakey hired her as his personal secretary at age 26. Now, she had no training, no scientific degree, no research to draw from. But Dr. Leakey saw something in her. He saw that she had an open mind. He saw that she had patience. He, he saw her love of animals. And he hired her to observe chimpanzees because there was very little information about them at that time. Once Jane started her work, she said, Once I was there, I knew I belonged to the forest. This is where I'm meant to be. 
So it was a very frustrating period early on because it took a long time for her to be able to be trusted by the, by the chimpanzees. She was observing them from dawn to dark, and at first they ran away from her because they weren't used to human beings. But she had no thoughts of quitting. She was so absorbed, totally absorbed, in that forest existence. She started, she started sharing some of her findings, but a lot of the scientists discredited her because she had no degree. She was the first person to witness chimpanzees using tools with their hands, and she published her findings. And because of being so discredited, uh, Dr. Leakey sent her to Oxford to earn her PhD, and she's one of the few people ever to earn a PhD without an undergraduate degree. She went back, she filmed chimps making and using tools, and that got some attention. National Geographic sent a film to record her, and they ended up funding her research, and then... As you know, the rest was just history. Jane Goodall became the preeminent primatologist ever. And she changed our thinking about monkeys and chimpanzees especially. That probably would have never happened without her mom's support. So even if what kids are interested in, even if what your daughters are interested in is different, unusual, I would, I would, I would encourage them. I would support them. Let me tell you another story about but two brothers, the Wright brothers, who dreamed of flying. And it started when their dad helped them uh, make a toy helicopter. Actually, they didn't help them make it. He, he bought it in France. This is this little twin propeller thing with the twisted rubber bands like what they used to make. And her dad would wind it up, let it go. It would fly to the ceiling. And they were so mesmerized by that flying object. Orville Wright's first grade teacher caught him one day tinkering with little bits of wood at his desk. And she said, what are you doing? And, she, and he told her he was making a machine of a kind that he and his brother were going to fly someday. And everybody laughed at him. Now his mom, uh, their mom, the brothers, the Wright brothers' mom, she was very good with her hands. She could make anything, even toys. And anything the boys made, she would support. And she never destroyed anything they made or try to make, she'd pick up those objects and she'd put them on the kitchen shelf and she would say, keep at it. They got their mechanical aptitude from their mom. One day when he was, when he was young, Wilbur read the story about a, a German glider. Uh, his name was Otto uh, Lilienthal, who'd taken his lessons about flying from watching birds. He saw some photos of daring flying men and that all that aroused in Wilbur this interest and this passion about flying. So he, he and his brother very intensely read about the flight of birds. He was always reading books about birds. He was studying birds and all the kids thought he was weird as well as his parents other than his mom, including his dad. When they were uh, in their teen years, uh, they were studying birds. They lived in a tent on a beach uh, one whole summer. And despite all the adversities about all of that, it was the happiest they'd ever been. They had long talks, they drank lots of coffee, they couldn't sleep, they were so wound up about creating this flying machine. And they had problems getting the, their flying machines off the ground, until one night Orville lay awake thinking when suddenly he got an idea about a movable rudder. That summer they made 1,000 flights in two months, trying to resolve the control problems. 
One of their friends, John Daniels, who was helping them out, said, It wasn't luck that made the Orville brothers fly. It was hard work and common sense. They put their whole heart and soul and all their energy into their ideas, and they had faith in themselves. Wilbur said one time, A man who works for the immediate present and its immediate rewards is nothing but a fool. The brothers kept at it until, obviously, they were the first people to to fly an airplane. Fast forward a number of years. July 20th, 1969, Neil Armstrong was the first man to walk on the moon, and he carried with him a small swatch from the wing of Wilbur's 1903 flyer plane. Passion, interest, autonomy. Those are the things that drove Wilbur, Wilbur and Orville to create a flying machine, to create an airplane. It's the same kind of things that drove Jane Goodall to study primates. If we stay out of their way, most kids will find their interests and their passions. What they need is opportunity. They need support. They need us to, um, to be there to say, keep at it. Good for you. I love how you take initiative. I love how passionate you are about your artwork, about your drawings, about working with your hands, about playing soccer, about reading, about writing stories, whatever it may be. So one of the best things we can do with our kids is to value passion where we find it, is to support that passion with uh, enthusiasm, with resources, allowing them to think for themselves, to have autonomy in picking the things that they do, to ask them questions along the way about what, why they're into what they're into, why they love what they do, to mirror that back so they internalize it. That's one of the best ways we can help and support our kids with their intrinsic motivation. So this podcast is getting a little long, so I'm going to stop here. I have a bunch of great stories about some people and how they found their motivation. People who are eminent, people you've probably heard of in life, kind of like Bobby Brown kind of stories. But I'm going to come back with another podcast uh, in another week or two with those stories. Uh, But I want to stop here uh, with these stories about the Wright brothers and Jane Goodall. So remember, the best question is not, How do I motivate my daughter? The better question is, how can I support my daughter's intrinsic motivation? How can I help her discover her own internal motivation so I can support that, so she can find her own way and have autonomy in finding those things and to be able to internalize and to be able to draw from her own motivation. As always, thanks for stopping by here to listen to these podcasts. Thank you so much. I've gotten some good feedback lately about my podcasts and also some people writing ideas. Check out all the things that I do at my website at drtimjordan.com. I have some weekend retreats coming up for girls in grade school, middle school, and high school. Three separate ones for each age group coming up this fall. Uh, Again, check out the website at www.drtimjordan.com for information about those. I'll be back here in a week to give you part two of my information about how to help support your kids' own internal intrinsic motivation. I'll see you then. Thanks for stopping by. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. 
You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly.